0: Tuning into Jiu Jitsu Podcast. My name is um, Jerry Sue. We're here for our inaugural podcast with Purple Belt and Brown Belt World Champion Edwin Najmi, who just received his black belt from Homo Bajal and is off a seminar tour in Europe where he attended the Champions League finals and taught over what? How six, many
1: people? Six, seven seminars. I think so.
0: Six, seven seminars to sold out crowds and is the master of the flying triangle. Um, and Edwin, just wanted to start off with the very beginning. Um, when, I've read that you started Jiu Jitsu after your cousin beat you up. How old were you and how bad was he beating you up?
1: <laughs> uh, I was actually uh, 16 years old. He uh, wasn't like beating me up, like seriously, just like a joke. But you know, like you always want one of those like wrestling battles, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it was like on my like, grandma's living room floor or something like that, so just as a joke. but. Yeah, it's kind of like having an older brother, you know, like he like, wrestles, these beats you up, so you want to get back at him. So it wasn't like a serious, like, you know, beat up, like he didn't give me black eyes or anything, but like he choked me out a couple times, gave me a couple of kimuras. So.
0: Was he trained in jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu you know uh, Yeah, time? yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah, he was training.
0: So right after that, it was bad enough where you just didn't want to take it anymore that you said, I want to train jiu-jitsu or I want to learn this. Was there more to it? Uh, uh,
1: it was like, yeah, it wasn't, but it wasn't like I was getting bullied or anything. I just like, I just thought it was cool, you know, that he could like put me in a Kimura and like, yeah, I don't know, make make my shoulder hurt or like choke me out, like. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to learn it, you know. So it's kind of like older brother. So like everything he did, I wanted to do, do like him. So. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like UFC was like getting big and everything. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I I basically started jiu jitsu to fight MMA. You know, I didn't have any goal like like You know, like I I wanted to learn like something. I, I didn't know what it was, so like. And, and even when I started jiu jitsu, I always even when I liked jiu jitsu, my goal was always to fight MMA until I was probably like a purple belt. So,
0: so y- your intention going in was to eventually be in the UFC. Yeah, and for sure. Stage.
1: Yeah, I don't think like maybe like ninety percent of like jiu athletes, like their goal in the beginning is for sure to fight MMA. You know, like you don't know like the benefits <laughs> of jiu jitsu, like how fun it is. Like you just see like people fighting on, on TV, and you want to be like them. So. I feel like, and then, like the goal changes, the like, same thing with Homolo, that was like his story as well. So.
0: Yeah, because you train under Homolo Bahal who's had a handful of MMA fights and is undefeated. You also have a former training partner and friend Benil Dariush who's now burning it up in the UFC lightweight division has had a great deal of success in a mm-hmm. relatively short period of time. Is it still a goal to eventually move into? MMA, where are you content with winning Jiu Jitsu World Championships and being a professional Jiu Jitsu competitor and instructor?
1: Um, I'm content with it, you know I mean like I don't want to say like, never, but you never know, but like right now mm-hmm. my goal is to be like, for whatever I accomplish, it's like nothing for what I want to accomplish, like I want to be a black roll champion, I want to be like the best ever in my weight class, and I want to make a statement, you know, I just want to put my mark in Jiu Jitsu first, and if that happens and I have time, you never know, But I get everything my life and I is focused on Jiu-Jitsu.
0: And right now you're only 22 mm-hmm. years old. There's plenty of time for that. Um, we've mentioned, or Gary Tonin's mentioned, that eventually he's going to move into MMA. He's only 23 or 24 years mm-hmm. old. And with the grappling, um, that's a huge head start. You, you look at your your former training partner, again, Benil Dariushwe, just did to Jim Miller in New Jersey Gross at the piece, yeah. UFC, I believe, in April. It, grappling and jiu jitsu is still one of the key components of mixed martial arts. So have you trained in any striking as you said you'd want to dabble or eventually move on to MMA? Uh
1: yeah, actually like my first two years of Jiu Jitsu at Homeless, we used to have like a Muay Thai coach. So mm-hmm. t- I used to do Muay Thai every day actually after Jiu Jitsu. So like I wouldn't say I have like amazing striking but I you know like I know some basics mm-hmm. but I haven't done it in a long time so maybe I can go back to it. But yeah, I don't know, I'm not even thinking about that right now, but yeah, of course, if I ever wanted to make that transition, I would for sure talk to Benny, and I know he's at like amazing camp, But and, like Rafael Alessandro, all those guys, that like Rafael Cordero, Kings MMA, so like, mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be, you know, like hard, but, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it right now, but you never know, you know, like, and Benny is like, whatever he's accomplished so far, he like, deserves, deserves it all, you know, he's a hard worker, you know, and like, someone I really look up to, like, besides Homolo. Mm-hmm. So he's like one of the people I look up to. Like he's like dedicated to himself. Like, he's a true champion. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And out grappling, Jim Miller is not an easy task. Jim Miller, known for one of the best uh, grappling and jitsu for MMA, and Benil uh, controlled him from various positions throughout the match and had him in trouble, defending any Miller's attacks. Um, so if he he's pretty much set the blueprint for you if you do want to advance because um, you're already training with him at Church Boys, you trained with him at Homalobe Halls. Mm-hmm. And then he could likely introduce you to a striking and other MMA coaches. So you, the world's your oyster of, yeah, for, for, sure. for, for all, sure. all intents and purposes. Um, and you definitely have a bright future whichever path you choose to go down. Um, but just wanted to back up again to the point where your cousin was roughing you up. Were you always a lifelong athlete? Did you play sports growing up? And were did you consider yourself an athlete where... Gifted in sports before you started training at homelos
1: Uh yeah, definitely. Like I always like was an athlete, and I didn't really mm-hmm. care about school. And to be honest, <laughs> you know, like I wanted to be like a you know soccer player like when I was younger, and yeah, I never wanted to be like the same as everyone. I guess I, I want to be different. You know, I don't know if like athlete was like that mm-hmm. being different, but I always wanted to do something different than everybody else. So I guess I found that you know, in Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was that. I was always an athlete for sure. Yeah.
0: And when you started training in jiu-jitsu, when did you realize you'd be good at it? Um, Was it right off the bat where you were picking things up? Or was there a point where I think a lot of white belts and uh, beginners, where they struggle, um, they don't really understand the concepts, Where did you pick things up relatively quickly?
1: Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. But uh, I think I picked up things pretty quickly. You know, everyone always told me I had talent. They used to call me the, the young assassin. <laughs> no one ever repeat that, but yeah, I I feel like I picked up things quickly, but I don't know. I don't think until like my second purple belt, I, I, was, I was I was I was like average always, but I think until my second purple belt was like when things started to click, you know, and I, like really took everything to the next level.
0: That's surprising that you're saying you're average because um, before we went on air, you were saying that you finished second at worlds um, as both white belt and blue belt, which most people would consider a lifelong accomplishment just placing
1: at any belt level at Worlds. And you just consider that average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that's like the mentality I've been like brought up with like mm-hmm. from home alone and everybody. Like it's no, nobody remembers second place, unfortunately. Like mm-hmm. The goal is to be first and second place is the first loser. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, I mean that's awesome. Yeah, like, but if you always get second place, you can never like, I don't know, have a career or an athlete. You know, you're not the man. Like, Second place is awesome, like for a month, maybe after the rolls, n- next year, no one knows I like, got second place. Like, th- like It sucks, but that's how it is. It's like, you always have to be at the top. So I feel like that's when everything clicked. And I was never like, I would never be happy second place. Like, so, yeah, my goal is always to be first, no matter what.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to your early days, how did your competition career start? Were you winning right off the bat, or was there a learning curve to understanding competition, learning how to win? and um, where were you successful
1: right off the bat? Uh, I was pretty successful off the bat. I just feel like it took me a while to like, learn the rules. I just wanted to submit people. So it was pretty much like submit the guy or lose. So yeah, I mean, I did pretty good. I wiped out like a second of the Worlds, blue belt second of the Worlds. I won the Pan Ams at a blue belt like, a couple times, like two times. So like, oh, yeah, I was okay. I, I was, yeah, again, I was like average. I was never everything like special, you know? like ahead of the crop. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it is high standards, you know, like I come from, like, you know, my professor's a 10-time world champion, five-time black world champion, so it's like, my goal is always to be him, you know? I wanna mm-hmm. match what what he won. so that's my mm-hmm. goal.
0: Did you do Abu Dhabi trials this
1: year? Uh Yeah, I won,
0: yeah. Oh, are you head doing Abu Dhabi? And oh no,
1: that was actually Abu Dhabi Pro, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't do the ACC trials, cause mm-hmm. they were the same day as the Kubo podium, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know, I'm not I'm too bummed about it, but Well I don't you're know. 22, you have plenty of years yeah. ahead of you. Yeah, I mean if I get the invite, for sure, I'll be ready. You know, everyone's training, you know, for ADCC at my gym, but uh, I'm not too bummed about it. I have time, like, I have some friends in the same weight class, so it would be weird to fight them, but...
0: But is there... Um, you, Homelo is training for ADCCs, you're... Is there any lobbying from him or anybody else from the Gracie Baja family on your behalf to get into up, uh, get one of the invite spots to ADCCs in August?
1: Um, not yet, to be honest. Like, I feel like my mind is on the worlds. Mm-hmm. Cause that, just because I haven't like, trained after the worlds, so I feel like my mind is on the worlds, and I'm just, yeah, I haven't thought about it. But for sure, yeah, I would love to like, test myself against the best. Like, I don't want to take any time to uh warm up like whatever get my feet by that black belt i want to already fight the best guys i feel like i'm ready so for
0: sure yeah should we start an online campaign to get you to adcc yeah
1: for sure ha- hashtag nash me adcc
0: <laughs> yeah the owner of jiu-jitsu <laughs> times kit canaria is sitting right by here that's your job kit to get Edwin to not only to win ebi but also to get to adcc <laughs> free trip to sao paulo yeah <laughs> Definitely, you've seen Dylan Danis, he recently received a bid or mm-hmm. invite to it. He just is a newly minted black belt as well. Yeah, so it's a definitely beast, a possibility
1: yeah. that you could get in there and get yeah, an invite there. For sure. The only thing is like I'm not like, too like honest because like probably like AJ Aguilar one of my best friends who's going to mm-hmm. fight. And then I have a like, couple of guys in my division. So I don't know, you know, like, you usually fight teammates before the final. So that's one reason I don't like I'm not really like, gunning for it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if it happens, it happens for sure. Yeah. Back to AJ, how close friends are you guys? I'm pretty good friends with him, yeah.
0: Because I noticed you guys travel together and you've recently been traveling a lot. How much of an influence has he been on your um, interest in travel and exploring the world? Because he, I follow him on Instagram. He's definitely one of those guys that, it is inspiring. Some, he is somewhat polarizing, I guess, whenever you're, you have beautiful hair and you're great jiu people <laughs> hate on you, but... <laughs> <laughs> he is inspiring because you see him traveling the world, you see him skydiving, yeah, diving in yeah, the Great sure, Barrier sure, Reef, and sure. that's what we should all aspire to in as far as like having a bucket list of things we want to do, things we want to see and travel. How much of that has rubbed off on you and how much of um, the travel and experiences um, that you shared with him, how much of an impact have they had on you?
1: Uh, definitely a big influence. I feel like he like he enjoys a different part of Jitsu that more than anybody else enjoys. So if like home, like Homelo is an example like he just enjoys competing you know winning tournaments but I feel like AJ enjoys traveling yeah like enjoying experiences with people mm-hmm. not that Homo doesn't but like he enjoys it like a lot more like so I feel like like that's important you know mm-hmm. like enjoying enjoying traveling using Jiu-Jitsu to travel like that's awesome like You can go anywhere in the world and teach a seminar and hang out there. Like, you know, meet good people, have good experiences. So for sure, yeah, a big influence. He taught me all those things. So,
0: yeah. Because you just uh, got off your tour, very successful tour in Europe of Uh six, seven seminars. Mm -hmm. You've got to experience the cultures. I saw you at the Champions League finals. Yeah, yeah. Would you do you think you would have done that if it weren't for AJ's influence? Where? Um
1: yeah, no probably I am not sure you know but he definitely taught me a lot about about how to deal with these experiences set up seminars set up tours I learned a from home tour as well how to teach seminars that's very important like how to interact with people because a lot of people are really good in jiu jitsu but don't know how to teach you know mm-hmm. or don't know how to interact with people so that's very important but yeah definitely I learned a lot from AJ how to travel. You know, how to set things up, how to, how to network with people. He's very good at networking, so, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And, and, and have, like, hobbies outside of Jiu-Jitsu. Enjoy something other than just competing because you need a balance.
0: What are some of your hobbies outside? Because we just talked about the travel side and soccer. Uh-huh. Uh, what else do you enjoy outside of Jiu-Jitsu? Because you're on a road a lot. You're training a lot. Um, what else makes you tick? What else do you enjoy that makes life Really exciting and uh, worthwhile for you?
1: That's pretty much it, you know, just traveling and watching, like, you know, mm-hmm. good football or soccer, as they call it in the United States, but that's pretty much it. Like, every weekend I wake up, watch Barcelona games, so yeah, you, you you need a balance, I feel like. You need a hobby. Because mm-hmm. I train jitsu five times a week, you know, all day, mm-hmm. and then, uh, like, Saturday comes, like, I, I don't want to even think about jitsu. like, you know, I'm already sick of it.
0: Travel and soccer, what are some of your bucket list things you still want to do as far as? It could include places you want to visit, soccer stadiums, or experiences you want to go see. What are five things you would want to do as far as your travel soccer bucket list?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I think I think I've got two of the main ones down. Uh huh. So I've been I've been to the Champions League final and the World Cup final. So. Well, when did you go to World Cup final? Uh, the last World Cup, Germany or Argentina. Well, that was in Brazil too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. How hard was that, how hard was that to swing tickets for that? Yeah, hard, hard. <laughs> you you gotta know good people. <laughs> so,
0: can you disclose any of your sources? No, your no, references? sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> but but yeah, I feel like those are the top of the bucket list. But I feel like the only thing that's left is like a classical, you know, Real mm-hmm. Madrid Barcelona, like like wise.
0: yeah, that one's. Definitely a tough ticket. They play that what twice a year? El Clasico. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. The most viewed sporting event I believe in the world. You're gonna have to schedule um, some seminars at Hobbin Gracie's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Academy around that time. For sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, is it the same connection that keeps hooking you up with getting you into those tournament, or games rather?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you got a source, no matter what. <laughs> he's, he's got the plane ticket, and you need to schedule the 7-hour Hobben Gracies okay, in Barcelona.
1: Yeah. Sure. Actually, yeah, my friend Sergio Calderon's in Barcelona, but yeah. He, oh, he, my he, he, It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Sergio Calderon, really, really cool guy. I got him for a couple of days in Barcelona. Nice guy, good academy. He's actually like one of the top guys like in Spain, coming out of Spain. One of the top black belts. So hopefully he'll be on Podio next Copa Podio for the USA Challenge. So I think it would be cool hmm I have that opportunity so besides the
0: three soccer events so I asked you for five are there two sites you want to see in the world besides
1: uh, not the three really soccer not ones? really Just like anywhere that jutsu takes me honestly or anywhere that AJ suggests sure yeah that recommends. too yeah but it's not even about like the places I visit it's about the people I meet you know and the experiences mm-hmm. I have with them so I feel like that's the most important because like, jutsu is full of like cool people you know like you can go anywhere in the world then you can be like get people and have fun with them mm-hmm. like, Five years ago I would' think I'd be yeah some places are you know like you're gonna have fun you know so it, wh- you know like, like famous places but like like some some of the places I visited on my trip like I had no I had no idea like they even existed like five years ago like, I, I'm not like big on geography and stuff so let's just say like you know like uh, south of Poland you know I, I don't know what to expect and then I went there like man like amazing people like great you know great great time there hung out with them like awesome experience so, like I didn't know what to expect, but I had a great time, you know, so in, to now I haven't had like a bad experience with you yet, so I, I don't know if it will come, but you know, so far everyone i met with Jiu Tzu is like, you know, very awesome, welcoming, treating me like family, so anywhere I go in the world I have a blast, so I think that's the most important, and whatever the, the cool places will come, of course.
0: How's the food there? That you Poland, experienced in Poland, and also you were in Spain as well. It was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah, what was the best dishes you had in Poland? Because I grew up on pierogies. Because I grew up in New Jersey, where okay, had a lot of Polish families, and pierogies was always my go-to and kielbasa. Yeah, what, what were your go-to dishes in Poland?
1: Um, I'm not even sure. I, I just told people to order for me. To be <laughs> honest, <laughs> that's the best way to do. It. If you ever travel yeah. and you were someone from there, which is by the way, is completely different if you travel somewhere by yourself and with someone like from that from that town so yeah if you travel somewhere and, and they're from there you tell them to get what they get you know just, just make it too so mm-hmm. but yeah the thing that stuck out to me was for sure the tapas in barcelona they were awesome
0: what do you think of the architecture in barcelona
1: really cool the Gaudi I think, yeah I think,
0: I think his name is Gil. I think Gil. Gil, Gil oh Gil, Gil.
1: yeah Park Gil. yeah, yeah. There, you go, there you go yeah yeah he
0: designed most of the cathedrals and buildings amazing
1: amazing mobile. yeah yeah definitely I was like wow like it was one of the coolest places I've been to in the world like maybe like top five like architecture wise you know things I've seen it was like amazing like supposedly everything he did by hand and stuff like I guess that's what I heard I don't know if that's true but it was like it was crazy Big line to get in, like yeah, it was definitely unique.
0: So after your seminars, the seminars take a few hours. Uh-huh. Were you just free to roam the city um, and experience it? Where were you spending time with other jujitsu instructors or jiu-jitsu people primarily? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I was just staying with people like I was teaching seminars, so I, you know I had a chance to meet them, their maybe their families. You know, just had a good time with them. So yeah, I had a great time. Maybe see the city a little bit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like I had a lot of seminars lined up and like. I had like six or seven and ten days so I didn't have that much time to experience everything yeah. I wanted to
0: how did you line up all these seminars because lining up a tour of um, seven seminars it's pretty difficult to pull uh-huh. off uh, especially while you were also traveling to Abu Dhabi traveling to Brazil prepping yeah. for worlds how did you coordinate this and tour and also get your other travel and planning, as far
1: as seeing the Champions League finals, and how do you coordinate all that? Uh, it was tough. I got I got advice from Hobolo because mm-hmm. he did, that, he did it every year. I think last year he taught like ridiculous amount of seminars. AJ too. So it was really tough to be honest. Like uh, I had connections from you know all these people, but it was hard playing together. Like I had to like. <laughs> like maybe maybe I even need a manager I don't know I was like a one manager, but even like up until like the worlds it was kind of stressful because even like until like the world's day on Saturday like Friday night I was like still planning my trip because I didn't want to plan anything after I knew it was gonna be managed after the worlds so yeah it was it was tough but it's I think like that was my that was my first one so now, now I know what to do. But yeah, the first one it, it was tough. <laughs> it was a lot of like time, like planning everything, cause you can't mess anything up. I actually got like s- like screwed over for one of my seminars over there. I, my flight got canceled and I missed it in Alicante, Spain. So I'm sorry again, guys. <laughs> I'll be there soon. But yeah, like that's one thing I'll, I would give advice to, to anybody, I guess, or like take account to in the future is that like, have a day in between every seminar, because if one flight gets messed up, your whole schedule gets messed up. That, that's what I, had mm-hmm. to skip. Like, I had to skip one seminar because of the canceled flight, just because I had like back to back to back to back to back, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's just, that's just like the only thing I think I up on, but everything else, I, everything, I feel like I planned it pretty good, and I had a great time.
0: How, how many, was it just a number of phone calls to multiple schools, or was it a case where every school you called said, yeah, we want Edwin to come in for a uh, seminar?
1: Um, I actually didn't contact anybody, yeah. I just been on Facebook. (laughs) I I, I was planning just to go to the bars. I was just planning going to the Champions League final in Berlin, just for vacation. Like I I didn't like really think about seminars. I just been on Facebook. I was like, hey guys, yeah, I'm gonna be in the area, and then yeah, turned out good.
0: (laughs) Wow. So Homelo, AJ, you didn't need any connections. You were just getting contacted
1: by schools to. Run seminars. Yeah, I mean, like, like some of them. Yes, I mean, like, some of them, like that. Contacted me have like hosted Homelo and AJ before, so of course that helped. They they had like good words about me, but yeah, that's it. So when you go into these
0: seminars, how much time do you need to plan the curriculum for the seminars? I'm sure there's people that want to see the flying triangle Uh and some of your footlocks. Of course, yeah. Um, How much consideration and time did you put into to plan the curriculum? Did you consult with Homelo or um, other yeah. AJ or other people that yeah. are close to you on what to what the content should be and how it should flow
1: uh, yeah for sure like uh, Homo's like taught me how to teach seminar like I've been over this with him like multiple times it's it's very important to learn how to teach a seminar Like, I can't explain it like, if you teach a seminar and you don't if you don't have a plan if you don't have like, a system if you're just gonna teach like five different techniques like random techniques it's not gonna work and some people do that you know like I've seen like high level black quotes mm. you just you can't do that you know you have to have like a Bam, 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 everything links together, you know, it makes sense. Because I've been to seminars before, but like, personally, when I was a white belt and blue belt, the guys were, like, amazing, but I don't, I don't remember anything. Because one was, like, a one on top, one on bottom, one summation, one back take, and nothing linked together. So it's very important. I feel like homeless, like, really good at that, teaching seminars, you know. I've, I've been to, like, oh, yeah, homeless seminars, is great. I've been to a lot of them, like, to be a, as a helper when I was a purple belt. I think brown as well. So I learned a lot.
0: And did... Do you need to also make an entire almost like a stand-up comedy or late-night talk show where you have a monologue and opening and how do you also pick your uke for your demonstrations? Because the uke you need to have someone who knows you, kind of feels you, and won't mess up uh, what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. Was that were those also considerations for first of how you introduce yourself, how you get the crowd energized, and then also how you chose your uk for your seminars
1: um not really i think like that that's all freestyle to be honest like like you have to be yourself you know that's what everybody likes like that, that's it like become likable like you know in the world like not even in any community but yeah like if if you run everything like a robot like people see that mm-hmm. like you're you're cold you know you can you can't do that of course you have a plan but it's freestyle you know like whatever you feel but you know of course but it, it's hard to talk to people if you're not used to like I feel like my first seminar compared to my last one, I got so much better. I can only imagine in five years how much better, you know, I'm going to be at speaking to people.
0: And you, these are sold out seminars. So these have up to 50 people, mm-hmm. which means 25 pairs of people. How do you give people the attention and time? Because some of your moves, as cool as they look, as easy as they look, there's a lot of detail to it. And how do you navigate the room and just make sure that, everybody feels like they're learning and benefiting from your seminars because you have a lot of great content you have an arsenal of moves that pe- a lot of people are envious of. How uh-huh. do you give people the time and make sure that they're picking up on some of the details?
1: Um, and like, honestly you can't make sure everybody picks it up but mm-hmm. I do my best to go around like every every person but, yeah I mean it's really hard to make like, especially there's a lot of people it's really you know hard but I, I make sure like to let everybody know they can ask questions like you know don't feel shy guys that, that, that's why I'm here so yeah I feel like I almost like watch every single person do a technique and then and just see if they get it you know and then I'll fix them so I almost make sure every, every single person gets it I go around
0: basically you're, you got attention last year you're a purple belt world champion you have a good social media presence you won brown belt worlds you're newly minted black belt you went on this very successful seminar tour how does it feel that more To go around and realize that you're building your brand people recognize you people want to take photos with you and um, they want you to host seminars has how do you manage the staying level-headed and knowing that people know who you are and um, basically how do you handle being famous we're growing in fame at least in the jiu-jitsu community
1: uh-huh. um i would call myself famous but uh, it's for sure like very important to stay humble and like that's like something i always like promise myself you know or tell everybody like that that's like so important you know you could be like the best champion and, like there's some in our sport every sport and they're not humble and like no one likes them you know they fight they're really good but everybody boos them so i think like that's very really important like my professors like That's like one of the most humble champions in the sport. Never talks bad about anybody. So I just take that after him.
0: Uh, Speaking of humility, is actually a good transition. Um, You know, you pulled off that incredible feat of winning purple belt one year, then worlds, and then winning brown belt worlds the next year. But your path to purple belt worlds wasn't an easy path. Uh You actually were upset in the finals of in the purple belt. How did? And then you went on to win the open weight. Uh My question is. How did you mentally regroup over that short period of time of falling short of your goal you had a second chance to reach your goal in the open weight? How do you mentally regroup and uh, deal with the adversity and um, mental pressure or sense of disappointment and what advice yeah. do you have to others in that same situation
1: uh it's it's tough. I feel like that's like really been like that was for sure like the the, the turning point in my career. I, don't, I can't explain how I did it, but... Yeah, uh, like when I lost, it's probably like the worst I've ever felt in my whole life. Like worst, for sure the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. Like losing the weight class final, I was like crying for like three hours. And then, I don't know, like homeboy just came and he's like, Man, you're gonna win, let's do this. And I was like, I haven't fought up the whole He's like, I don't care, you're gonna win. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And then, so I just had like this, I just had to do it. Like both my friends, Gabriel and Pedro, they won gold medals kind of like a I don't know like a, like a wolf pack <laughs> uh-huh. so like uh, one of us like we usually like we do everything together we get promoted together we win together we lose together so they, they both want two gold medals I got silver so I was like man like six months one year I gotta wait to get another gold medal like I, I, gotta, I gotta get on the level to get the gold you know so and on top of that I got their second place three times before that so like I don't know I just I didn't think about it I, I just told myself I had to do it like no matter what I just just something I had to do. It's it just, it just weird. But I, I just trained hard and I believed myself. And I honestly, like, when it came to fight that point, I was like, I'm going to win. Like, it doesn't matter how. I had the worst bracket ever. I probably fought all the best guys, tough guys. Like, when I saw the bracket, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try. So, yeah. Like, thank God it all worked out. But I don't know if there's any special advice I can give in that situation. Just, like, believe in yourself. If you work hard and believe in yourself, you can do anything you want to. And I feel like uh, you need like, one experience like that in your life, then like for the rest of your life, you you'll believe in yourself.
0: Yeah. That's pretty amazing though, Ron. Because how many total matches did you have that day? Thirteen. Thirteen matches. Yeah,
1: I had seven in my weight class I think, or maybe twelve or thirteen. I had seven in my weight class and five or six no point. It was like, yeah, ridiculous day. Ridiculous.
0: And, and this, there's no easy outs at Worlds. Everybody flies in from around the world, Brazil, yeah, yeah, Japan, yeah. Europe, guys. saying that this is my year. And to uh-huh. go through 13 people and with a 12-in-1 record, that's very impressive. Yeah.
1: I, I, I don't know if I ever, like, I, I hope I do, but I don't know. It would be hard to be that day, you know, like, from the worst day of my life to the best day, like, at the moment, the best day of my life. I feel like winning Rambo Worlds and my back top that, but... This is definitely a special moment.
0: Which is more satisfying, winning the purple belt absolutes or the brown belt worlds?
1: Um, I don't know. Purple belt absolute, because maybe of- because like it was a flying triangle. <laughs> I guess like like it was yeah. something crazy, and then uh, I was like the first featherweight to ever win at purple belt. So that, I guess that's pretty cool. But I don't know. I feel like open weight always has like more prestige, but brown belt's like way way tougher. <laughs> Like much tougher. Even though it's like same guys but they're just like everyone's much better. But I think like brown ball and getting back on in the podium is like more special. But of course the first one's like special as well. So I don't know, it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the first one's definitely the hardest one to win. Like your first world title, like Home always told me this. It's like it's a, a crippled night. I feel like when you when when you when you win something you can always keep on winning. You just need to win the first one. Like until I want my first black ball, uh my first World Championship at Purple Belt, I won like 6 Pan American Championships, and I had 0 world titles. So it's just like, it's the same guys that fight the Pan Ams in the Worlds, you know. So it's just like kind of like a mental block. So once I won that, I was like, alright, I can do this, you know. So this year when I fought the Worlds at Brown Belt, I felt like no pressure, I felt really weird. I even told Homo this, I was like, man, I don't feel any pressure, like I feel really, really weird. I'm either gonna do really good today or really bad, so. Good thing it turned out for the good, but
0: and just want to transition we already talked about some of your business as far as the seminars go but you also have a very large social media presence you have 30,000 plus Facebook followers Instagram followers you have a larger following than some major black belts that have been trained for multiple years you have mm-hmm. more followers than someone who is very popular like Gary Tonin how did you build up this online following
1: um, I don't know there's no secrets I just feel like if you're like nice, if you're a nice guy, you stay humble. You communicate everybody. You contact everybody. You know, like stay, stay, in. people ask the questions. You answer. You know, like like that. Just keep on networking with people. And in fact, if you have nice if you have good jitsu, like that, just like comes naturally. You know, I feel like there's like a lot of guys that are really good, but they they miss one of these things. You know, they're really good to win titles. They don't have. They have like boring jitsu. They have stick jitsu. They're not good at, like, you know, never, You know, networking, marketing themselves. So like if you're a nice guy you, you post stuff you know, updates about your life all the time people like to see that stuff you know like they, they, people look up to you so like you you're a good role model you no know? like no no negative stuff on there and yeah
0: so do you plan out the content that you're going to post ahead of time do you have a whole no, no, social no. media strategy <laughs> no in order to generate likes and no. more
1: no no I don't I don't
0: so everything's just organic on the fly in For the sure. moment
1: yeah that's the most important. I feel like if you ever plan things in life, like things like that, it's just like not from you, you know, so, you know, if you're just posting things just to get likes, like, you know, it's, it's just weird, you know, like, people people meet you in your life, they're just like, oh, what, you know, there's not that guy, so.
0: And how important is social media to your sponsors?
1: Um, not just my sponsors. I feel like social media is very important, like, in today's age, like takes the athlete to a different level so you could be the best guy if you don't have good social media no, one, no one's gonna want to sponsor you no one's gonna want to watch you like so that's very that's very very important i think like it's maybe even 50 percent, you know of of how good how, how big it can be in the sport because you have some pretty
0: cool sponsors storm kimonos uh-huh. uh ju jujitsu rose clothing i believe yeah jujitaro yeah how much do they ask of you as far as social media and promoting them on social media where is it just all organic that you're going to be training in strong kimonos anyway or um, um wearing their uh, juju zero's um hoodies and clothing? yeah yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's pretty much all organic it just it just is like a big drop or something you know like a big kimono release then of course i have to post that but yeah everything else is organic and, and that's like another thing about sponsors, like, you can't just have a sponsor just, just to, you know, get money or, like, some free gear or anything. Like, you have to really, like, feel the sponsor, I feel like. So a lot of people, they just have sponsors just, just like, you know, gain, like, profit from that. And then, I don't know, I feel like you can't really represent a brand like that. So, like, I honestly, like, I like wearing Storm. Like, I love the gi, it's my favorite gi. You know, and Jiu like, I like the quality, I like the way it fits, I like designs. That's very important to me, like, that you like the brand. So, like, you know, I've had offers from other brands that maybe were better offers, but it doesn't matter to me, you know. So, I feel like that, that's very important.
0: Many guys would kill for just one sponsor. Uh-huh. How did you build your relationship with Storm, and how do you um, get other sponsors involved in, in your training and uh, supporting your jiu-jitsu competitions? I
1: think it's important that, like, a lot of athletes, in jiu-jitsu especially, they, like, sell themselves short. They're, like, looking for any sponsor when they're, like, blue belt, maybe, white belt. So you just like let them come to you, you know, you build good relations. Like Storm, I, I knew them for like two years before I was even sponsored by them. They were sponsoring Homolo. Yeah, I just like went to lunch with them a couple times with you know, like Homolo and then they like, came by and trained, V and D, great people. So mm-hmm. yeah, you just like don't force anything. It just happens. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's all about like, yeah.
0: Did you ever have to write letters or uh, pitch sponsors on uh, sponsoring you?
1: Probably when I was white belt, yeah. <laughs> but
0: that's a bad idea, yeah. You know? <laughs> Why is that a bad idea?
1: I don't know, like, I feel like it's way cooler if you, if you yeah, like, you don't have a sponsor and then you just get a good sponsor later on. Like, if you have a different sponsor, like white belt, blue belt, different one at purple belt, different one at brown belt, different one at, it's just, like, weird, you know. It's like, it's like LeBron James, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, the teams as well, you know. It's just, like, I don't know. I feel like people, people appreciate that. You're part of one team, like, rare to find these days i know it's like a touchy subject for some people but you know like part of one team part of one sponsor too not forever but like you know what i'm talking about like not like all the time so that's important you know that you don't wear like some like random like garage out of the garage <laughs> sponsor you know just just because they're gonna give you one give your boob but you know just wait you know mm-hmm. keep working hard and like uh, big opportunities will come to you
0: and yeah, speaking of big opportunities you have Eddie Bravo Invitational 4 coming up. Yeah. $20,000 cash prize. Yeah. Is that what enticed you? Or is it also the opportunity to compete with Barrett Yoshida, Gio Martinez, Uh Paula Meow? What enticed you to compete in that tournament?
1: Um, Everything. Like, great competitors, good, like awesome rules, submission only. Right, submission only 10 minutes, I think. And then, like, the overtime rules. Yeah, so... I like the rules. I like the competitors, the money for sure. You know, 20 grand, it's like unheard of in jiu for fights. So, yeah. If it wasn't 20 grand, I probably wouldn't cut 25 pounds, 20 pounds to make weight. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the weight. So,
0: What's your strategy for dropping 20, 25 pounds? <laughs> Do you need to consult AJ, who was a college wrestler, or uh, home on how to cut weight uh, with the same day weighing and then recover in time?
1: Uh, no, I, I feel like I'm probably like the best like weight weight, like weight cutter. I, I like my whole gym, like I have the bunch, so like last year I was like 168, 170, and I fought for the weight at the world's last year, 150. So I cut 18, 20 pounds last year. so if I have more, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be tough for sure, but it, 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 it'll be worth it though. So.
0: What are the three key ingredients to a good weight cut without compromising your strength and stamina?
1: Depends. Uh depends like what kind of diet you want to do, but it's like definitely do not cut water weight. I think that's like the most important. So like I made featherweight last year with without cutting any water weight, so you don't feel as bad, you know, just dieting down. So I don't know if I have like three, but that's like very, very important, you know, cut as minimal water as possible. Maybe just like the run in the morning, the couple of like three, four pounds. So that's how I made it and I feel good. But I think E B I is in the morning and any fat in the afternoon, so it's like a little easier. Yeah, I'm going to try my best to make the way. Hopefully I can make it. Did they approach you about competing or did you
0: solicit them about
1: competing? Uh, yeah, actually, their like their matchmaker. I've been in touch with him for a while, so I finally got in. Was
0: it Casey Holstead? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's been pitching you for a while to compete? Yeah, I was supposed to compete on. at
1: the one, uh, this is four, right? So three, yeah. two, the, the second one, I think. But yeah, I, I, got, I, got, I had a surgery on my nose, I had a broken nose. So then my friend Kyle, he took my spot, but yeah. So now have my chance again. So hopefully it'll be good.
0: Okay. Can't wait. Yeah, and from professionalism, <coughs> professionalization of the sport rather. Uh, what do you think of Metamoris as far as their exclusive contracts? They pitched exclusive contracts to Dylan Danis, Gary Tonin. Yeah. Dylan took it. Gary didn't. Do you and you're competing also in a super fight in September in addition to EBI? Do you believe that? Exclusivity is bad for the sport and the competitors where what's your take?
1: Uh it's definitely bad for the sport. You know, it depends. Like I feel like it's bad for the sport because everything's getting bigger. Like there's so many events now, like I can't like talk about it too much, but like until until like the end of September or October, I'm gonna have like a lot of super fights. Like maybe like six, five, six super fights, like big super fights, with, like big names. So like if I found, if I had an exclusive contract with somebody, I wouldn't be able to do any of that. So yeah, I feel like it's, it's bad for for the growth of the sport, but then again, if they're paying like big money for an athlete, like I don't know if I don't know if like money wise you can get that you know from fighting all those super fights, but I, I, I don't know details. But definitely for the grow, growth of yourself, but I feel like the growth of yourself finding all these super fights, different audiences and stuff, it's for sure means more than any money you know at the end of the day. So
0: these super fights, are they paying out respectable purses? Yeah, 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 and. Are there business Do you know anything about their business models if their revenue is primarily coming from streams, ticket sales? And
1: um, it, it's, all, it's all different. So,
0: And will you be combining other seminars with your travel to these super fights? Definitely,
1: definitely, definitely. So, my next one is like the only one that's confirmed, I believe. It's on July 11th, Submission Series Pro. Um, is that the group from Canada? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nova Scotia, yeah. There you oh. Did they have an event? Cat
0: Clark. There you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Nice guy. So,
0: Beautiful country up
1: there as well. Beautiful, exactly, especially during the summer. So I'll be competing there. Make my black belt debut there in a couple of weeks. Dude. I'm not sure my opponent yet, to be honest, because they're like switching things up. But and then, yeah, so I have a seminar the next day after that, and then in Toronto and then Monday in Montreal. So.
0: And you're able to make a re- pretty good living off the business model of seminars, purses from super fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. sponsors.
1: You can, yeah, definitely. Until, until I help my own gym one day, for sure. Yeah. And I
0: want to talk to you about a little transition a little bit to your future. Uh huh. Is it going to be a Gracie Baja gym in the valley, or do you think it'll be another location?
1: Uh, I'm not sure about the location, but for sure it'll be Gracie Baja. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like it's like a slap in the face to everybody that helped me to get here if it wasn't a Gracie Baja. So, yeah, you know, definitely Gracie Baja.
0: And we're wrapping up on time right now, but thank you very much for the hour or so on this podcast. We really appreciate it. You live a very fascinating life. I think it's a life that a lot of guys in jiu-jitsu would want to try and emulate and try to live by. As far as your training, also being able to monetize your talents, which is very difficult to do in a very niche, growing sport. Uh, but thank you very much for your time. Good thank luck, you, in getting EBI. Good luck in getting into ADCC. Kit, we're going to be on that. Starting a campaign (laughs) to get Edwin to ADCC because he deserves to be there. He's one of the most exciting jiu jitsu fighters out there on the planet, selling out seminars, competing around the world super fights. He's the man. Thank you very much, Edwin. Appreciate it.
1: it,